Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, August 1st. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, for those of you watching on YouTube, you're getting a glimpse behind me of... Actually, it's sort of my um, childhood bedroom recreated. My parents have retired <laughs> to Fort Worth, Texas, still moving in here, uh, and I'm visiting for a couple of days. And um, we were talking before the podcast. It is uh, hot AF, as the kids say, or do they not say that anymore? Uh, I don't think they say that anymore. It just <laughs> it's super hot. Uh, I think 106 was the high today in Fort Worth, Jill. You look at the um, 10 day forecast. It's 105, 106, 104, 105. They tell me, though, it's a dry heat, though, Jill, after a couple minutes, I don't care if it's dry heat. I need the AC. Yeah, that dry heat. That's a total scam. It's a misnomer. You know, <laughs> you people in the Southwest, it's a dry heat. I'm like, it's still hot. Uh, Jill, just before we get started here today, I got a note just as we were about to tape here from one of our listeners who writes in. This is Michelle, who says, my son and I listen to your podcast every morning on the way to his high school. We have the best conversations following your episodes. Thank you and Jill. Michelle, thank you and your son. That is why we do this, right? I think that's the goal. We actually do it for you two. We we think about what you guys might want to hear about every day. But in all, in all earnestness, like we, we love to hear that uh, what we talk about and the way we talk about it does provoke productive conversations uh, about what's happening out there and give you the facts you need to, you know, really be informed about this world. And with that, let's get to some headlines. The U.S. government is preparing to take on Amazon in a battle that could lead to the breakup of the company. Some booze news. Excessive alcohol deaths are rising, especially among women. And another study shows that just one drink a day increases blood pressure. Overseas, Poland is on high alert as Wagner mercenary members head their way. On to politics, a Hunter Biden associate testified to Congress about how involved Joe Biden was as vice president in his son's foreign business. The first U.S. nuclear reactor built from scratch in decades enters commercial operation in Georgia. We're getting some details about the new Apple iPhone 15 that's about to be rolled out. And the actor who played Pee Wee Herman dead at the age of 70, plus Moshe's on this day in history. Jill, a potpourri. We have John F. Kennedy, MTV, and Game of Thrones among the things in today's On This Day in History. All right, let's start with some news on an epic government versus business battle that we could see play out over the next few years. The Federal Trade Commission here in the United States preparing to file an antitrust suit against Amazon that could one day lead to a breakup of the $1.4 trillion technology conglomerate. The case would rank among the most famous and largest in American history, including Standard Oil, AT&T, and most recently, Microsoft. Multiple reports out of Politico and Axios are that the FTC has been investigating Amazon and a far-reaching antitrust suit focused on Amazon's core online marketplace could come as soon as this month. The exact details of the final lawsuit still not known and changes to the final complaint are expected until the 11th hour. But sources say that personnel throughout the agency have really homed in on several of Amazon's business practices. The complaint is likely to focus on three things. First, challenges to Amazon Prime. 
Also, Amazon rules that the FTC says block lower prices on competing websites. And finally, policies that the government believes force merchants to use Amazon's logistics and advertising services. The agency has been drafting a complaint since at least the end of last year and is likely to file its case in federal court rather than its in-house tribunal. So they've been gearing up for this for a while, Jill. They've interviewed dozens of witnesses inside, outside Amazon. That includes the CEO, Andy Jassy. That includes the founder, Jeff Bezos. They've collected millions of documents from Amazon and third parties over the last three years to build this case. So this predates the Biden administration. This began during the Trump administration. And we've been watching the buildup here. We've been reporting it to you for months. There was the complaint filed in June, charging that Amazon had knowingly duped millions of consumers into unknowingly enrolling in Amazon Prime. Back in May, Amazon paid a $31 million fine to resolve two cases brought against it, including one that said it violated the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, uh, allegations related to the fact that Amazon appears not to have taken uh, proper steps to protect the privacy of users, including minors, related to the Ring doorbell and Alexa. And this comes as the FTC is trying to refocus here on antitrust enforcement, on curbing the power of these large corporations, big tech. Keep in mind, by the way, Amazon is the fifth largest company um, in the world. You know who's bigger than Amazon? Google and Apple, among others. But it appears here right now that they have Amazon set in their sites. The head of the FTC, Lena Khan, has been focused on Amazon for years here. Actually, Amazon saying that Lena Khan should... Uh, not be involved in this because they believe she has a bias. And this comes as states have been focused on Amazon as well. Uh, They filed cases, the attorneys general of certain states, including California, uh, centering on Amazon's rules requiring third-party retailers to offer their lowest prices on Amazon, thereby cutting off the possibility of lower prices elsewhere. Amazon has been disputing those allegations. A D.C. judge threw out the case, but a California judge is actually letting it move forward. As far as the FTC case here, it's expected to claim that Amazon steers sellers to its own logistics services, including shipping and warehousing, rewarding them with better placement on the site and punishing companies that don't. Amazon's rapidly growing digital advertising business will also likely be targeted here. Uh, The agency is concerned that Amazon forces merchants to buy ads in order to get better placement in customer search results. So the idea here when it comes to Amazon is by controlling the platform, Uh, that they're basically eliminating potential competition and obligating uh, companies out there who want to sell their uh, wares uh, to utilize everything Amazon or face punishment, you know, sort of the definition here as far as the FTC is concerned of a monopoly. Uh, The question is, when do they file this case? Um, How long does it take? The people who watch this sort of thing, Jill, say this could be years uh, of back and forth. And Amazon has a, a fair share of lawyers Uh, gearing up for this potential case. Really quickly, you mentioned Lena Khan. One of the reasons that Amazon wants her to basically recuse herself from this is because when she was 29 years old and in law school, that was back in 2017, she actually wrote an academic article taking on Amazon, talking about why the company, if, if not should be broken up, why they should be contained at the very least. So from the beginning, a lot of people expected that she was going to go after Amazon in some capacity as chair of the FTC. The other thing that I wanted to mention uh, is just how many companies are actually owned by Amazon. You've posted on Instagram this incredible graphic with just all of, of the companies that Amazon has its hand in. 
And it's really incredible. I mean, Whole Foods is obviously very highly publicized. We know Amazon bought Whole Foods. They own, of course, Ring, uh, as you were talking about before, AWS, which is Amazon Web Services. And I'm just looking at this graphic right now. uh, Companies I've never even heard of as well, Presto, uh, Wickedly Prime, Amazon Robotics, Amazon Basics, Amazon Essentials, Good Threads. Uh, the list goes on. Yeah, and they've made some huge acquisitions in a number of sectors, Jill, uh, in healthcare, in household, in devices, in services, uh, in shopping, right? They've launched uh, the you know Amazon line of goods where they, uh, they've been accused of copying um, other brands. They also bought ShopUp. They bought Zappos. Uh, then there's the whole streaming video space that they're in as well. And so, you know, over the years here, a couple of these tech companies, whether they're it's Meta, whether it's Alphabet slash Google, whether it's Apple, whether it's Amazon, you have multi-trillion dollar companies. I believe Apple at some points was worth $3 trillion, Jill, uh, the likes of which we have not seen companies of that size ever uh, in the modern era. And you really have to go back to like the standard oils of the world uh, to see companies that were that large or AT&T, which got broken up by the government. It's the baby bells. And it's a whole separate case. So it's apparent here. And you've seen for a variety of reasons, for different reasons, Republicans and Democrats, one thing they do agree on is their concern over the size of big tech here. And this is a battle big tech knows has been coming for a while. All right, now to some new studies related to alcohol that we wanted to tell you about. First, there is this new study that finds that deaths related to excessive alcohol consumption are rapidly rising in the United States, especially among women. While drinking is still killing more men than women, the rate of alcohol-related deaths is rising faster among women. The investigation was published by JAMA's Substance Use and Addiction last week. It examined more than 600,000 alcohol-related deaths from 1999 to 2020, which did not include deaths from injuries, homicides, or deaths indirectly linked to alcohol use. Researchers concluded that alcohol-related deaths were trending upward for both men and women, and men were just about three times more likely to die than women However, the death rate among women increased more rapidly over the same period, up nearly 15% between 2018 to 2020, versus 12.5% in men over the same two years. Now, on the gender trends, medical experts said there was a physiological difference between men and women when it comes to the effects of drinking, making women less able to metabolize alcohol as quickly as men. When we digest alcohol, it is digested with an enzyme that's called alcohol dehydrogenase, which women typically have lower amounts of. It exposes them to more toxic effects and negative long-term effects, and that could include liver disease, pancreatitis, heart failure, and also beyond that, lower rates of fertility, earlier menopause, and increased rates of colon cancer and breast cancer. Yeah, previous studies have found that women are drinking greater amounts of alcohol in the past couple decades, with binging actually becoming increasingly more common, and that may at least partially explain the rising rates of complications death here, cirrhosis, etc. Addiction experts partially attribute that to changing attitudes towards heavy drinking by women. Essentially, what they're saying is women's alcohol consumption has become normalized uh, through media uh, and other factors these last 20 or 30 years. A professor of epidemiology over at Columbia University, Catherine Keyes, spoke to NBC News about this, and she said that alcohol has been sold to women as part of a luxury lifestyle, having a good time and a way to reduce stress, So she said she wasn't surprised by these findings at all. Uh, Her quote is, if you look at who is binge drinking the most, it's women at midlife 
we see the greatest escalation in women with the highest socioeconomic status, those with the highest incomes, the most education, and the highest status occupations. Well, look, it's uh, the sex in the city effect, right? It's all of those cosmopolitans. They're certainly not cheap. <laughs> if you've been out, you know, a glass of wine can cost you, you know, 15 to $20 in certain places, even more than that, and even drinking at home. It is fascinating, though, um, just the difference in the way that women and men metabolize that alcohol. That's something I learned from the study is just the the differences in our bodies um, and and what makes women more vulnerable to lesser amounts of alcohol quicker. And it comes as we got another new study this week, which found that as little as one alcoholic drink a day increased systolic blood pressure, the top number in a blood pressure reading, even in men and women with no existing hypertension. These study authors said that they found no beneficial effects in adults who drank a low level of alcohol compared to those who did not drink alcohol. I thought we were still operating on that kind of one glass of red wine a day is good for you. <laughs> what happened to that? I'm waiting for the next version of that study, Jill. But this week, we got a couple of these uh, concerning studies. And, you know, we thought it was important to pass along here. At the same time, I kind of feel like doctors say that sometimes just to like make us feel okay. Like you can just have one, you can have one because it's so normalized in our culture. It is interesting though, because you're seeing increasing evidence among Gen Z and the younger populations away from alcohol, uh, and in some cases more towards marijuana use or other stress relief, uh, if you will. Um, and so we'll see the long-term trend there from the younger generation. But back to this blood pressure study for a second, the negative impact of alcohol on systolic blood pressure continued to rise over the years, even in women and men who drank again a little each day, just one drink a day. Small amounts of alcohol also raised the lower, the diastolic blood pressure reading, but only in men. So this study was published in the last couple of days in the journal Hypertension. So just something to be cautious of here, that even if you try to do a, a moderate amount uh, of, of drinking, and including one a day, it does have uh, a negative impact on your health here. Jill, we have a lot more to get to in today's Speed Read, but first I want to tell everyone about our newest Mo News partner, Shopify. They have a new deal for all of you, whether you're a business owner or have something you have as a hobby that you're looking to eventually sell online. If you haven't heard of Shopify, you may have heard this sound effect before. That's the sound of another sale being made using Shopify. If you're a business owner like me, you're always looking for solutions to get your product out there to as large of a customer base as possible. And Shopify is the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses around the world. We are right now developing a Mo News merch line this fall and plan to be using Shopify as our hub. Whether you're just an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or your IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business. It has a great checkout platform that really helps turn browsers into buyers. And right now, Shopify is offering the Monus community a special deal. You can sign up right now for $1 per month for a trial period over at shopify.com slash Monus, M-O-N-E-W-S, all lowercase. Again, $1 per month trial period. Head to shopify.com slash monews to take your business to the next level. And you're going to be hearing a lot of this sound very soon. All right, time now for the speed read from the BBC. Poland is on high alert as it claims that more than 100 members of the Wagner mercenary are approaching Poland's border with Belarus. 
and could try to enter NATO territory disguised as migrants. Now, besides pretending to be migrants as a way to infiltrate Poland, these mercenaries could also pose as Belarusian border guards helping migrants cross into the European Union. This is according to the Polish prime minister. Polish officials have for years accused Belarus of attempting to overwhelm Poland's border forces by sending migrants west into their country. On Friday, neighboring Lithuania, another NATO country that is under threat from Russia, announced that they may close their borders to Belarus over concerns about a Wagner infiltration. So just to get a sense of the geography here, Poland sits on the border with Belarus, Ukraine, and a sliver of Russia. Uh, They're always concerned under threat here from Russia. And this bears a lot of watching because these are NATO countries, uh, both Lithuania and Poland. And as we've told you, as you all know by now, it's all for one, one for all in NATO. If one country is attacked, we all come to the defense. And that's why we always have a heightened alert when it comes to NATO countries. As you might remember, the Wagner Group had thousands of fighters. Uh, It's been on the front lines in Ukraine. Then they were involved in that failed rebellion uh, just a few weeks ago in Russia. As part of the deal they got from Putin, the Wagner Group mercenaries got to move over to Belarus, which is effectively a a close ally of Vladimir Putin. They got an exile deal. The founder, Prigozhin, has been there. We haven't quite been sure, Jill, what they were up to, but it appears they're up to something here uh, in relation to Poland now. And the Polish authorities, the Lithuanian authorities have been warning about this. And this area is already very tense for the past few years. As you mentioned, there were accusations that Belarus was bringing in migrants from the Middle East and Africa and then sending them through the border to Poland to try to destabilize Poland. Uh, They call it a form of hybrid warfare. And so Poland has responded in recent years by building a very high wall along part of its border with Belarus. Uh, Here, you now potentially have the Wagner Group getting involved here. So this is a situation everyone is watching very closely. Now to politics here in the United States from The New York Times. A former business partner, presidential son, Hunter Biden, testified before Congress Monday and told members that President Biden met with and spoke to his son, Hunter's international business associates, on a number of occasions over a decade as Hunter Biden sought to drum up consulting deals. That includes during the time that Biden was vice president under President Obama. In nearly five hours of closed-door testimony to the House Oversight Committee, Devin Archer spoke at length about his partnership and deals over the last decade with Hunter. Archer told lawmakers during the session that Hunter Biden had put his father on speakerphone to talk to his business partners about 20 times over a decade. However, he asserted that then VP Biden was not actually party to any of his son's business deals and that Hunter Biden had tried to sell the illusion that he was providing access to his powerful father when he was not. Yeah, members of the committee uh, said afterwards that Archer, this was closed door testimony, by the way, uh, described the conversation in which Joe Biden was involved as short, casual, about topics like the weather, His interactions were as little as stopping by for dinner or a brief handshake uh, to try to help Hunter out. But no direct connection here between Hunter and his father. And that is something that Republicans on the House Oversight Committee have been desperately looking for. They're trying to implicate the president in corruption and crimes here. And so this is just the latest bit of evidence. This testimony was highly touted. Uh, You're probably seeing a lot of it on conservative media outlets. But, you know, here we brought the story to you from The New York Times to show you that everyone is reporting this stuff. I think that the Hunter Biden story, Jill, we've been talking about this, is getting a lot of attention across uh, the media space, uh, especially in the last year. And that's probably a difference from 2020, 
uh, to today when the Hunter story was sort of ignored, viewed as potentially Russian propaganda. In fact, we were told that by the Biden folks. Uh, and it turns out there was more to the story than they were describing, but less to the story than Republicans have been describing. It sort of lives in the middle here. That said, Republicans did look at yesterday's testimony and say, there is evidence here that President Biden lied when he claimed he had no involvement whatsoever in his son's business dealings. Uh, again, you have the associate saying he would get on the phone. He's not involved in getting any money here, but he was involved in, you know, sort of greasing the wheels, if you will. And so you had some Republicans, Jill, who said this is grounds for impeaching Biden. At the same time, Democrats on the committee are like, this, this is no grounds for uh, impeaching Biden. He was just talking about the weather and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, to the Hunter story, you know, expect to hear more in the coming weeks and months here. This ain't going away anytime soon. Moshe, I noticed that uh, on the Mo News premium feed, you were talking about Hunter Biden's artwork as an artwork that he had physically painted himself. Yeah. Um, and how much money it was sold for. I found this to be fascinating, especially seeing the paintings. Could you just very quickly just walk us through this? So Hunter Biden has been um, a renaissance man of sorts, Jill, attempting to make his way in a variety of things, sitting on an energy board in Ukraine, trying to do business deals in China. Uh, in recent years, he took to painting uh, and auctioned off those paintings and made upwards of $1.3 million on his paintings uh, at various uh, galleries um, in New York. Now, those purchasers of the art were anonymous, but Republicans are saying, who are these purchasers and what were they trying to buy by buying Hunter's art? And so a couple of the names have come out uh, and there are questions about whether they were given any favorable treatment or positions by the White House after they bought Hunter's art. It's too soon to say that, but that's just another thing. If you hear about Hunter Biden, there's also an art investigation happening related to him. Unclear, though, Jill, whether he has any more art for sale, uh, by the way, of his $1.3 million in art that was sold, one anonymous purchaser bought about $800,000 worth of art, uh, and their name is still not available to the public. All right. From the Associated Press, a new reactor at the nuclear power plant in Georgia has officially entered commercial operation, becoming the first new American reactor built from scratch in decades. Georgia Power Company announced yesterday that Unit 3 at Plant Vogel, just southeast of Augusta, has completed testing and is now sending power to the grid reliably at its full output of 1,100 megawatts of electricity. Unit 3 can power 500,000 homes and businesses. Thanks for doing that calculation for us, Jill. My head hurts uh, from that. <laughs> <laughs> 1,100 megawatts, uh, 500,000 homes and businesses. Carry the zeros, yes. Utilities in Georgia, Florida, and Alabama are receiving the electricity a fourth reactor also nearing completion at the site where two earlier reactors have been generating electricity for decades. And you could guess the name here. Unit 4 is scheduled to enter commercial operation by next March. Jill, uh, nuclear engineer is not very creative with their naming here. They had <laughs> Unit 1 and 2, then they named the third one 3, and the fourth one will be called Four. It does come as there has been a resurgence in interest in nuclear power, as many countries look for reliable energy that doesn't involve carbon emissions. You know, there, you know, you know, there's solar, you know, there's wind, but you know, that depends on the sun shining in certain areas. That depends on wind 
Uh, nuclear is, of course, clean to a certain extent. Uh, at least it doesn't put off carbon emissions. But it, there was a stigma attached to it for obvious reasons for decades coming out of Chernobyl, Three Mile Island here in Pennsylvania. And then there was a surge in interest about 15 years ago, around 07, 08, 09, big talk as gas prices skyrocketed at the time. And so this Georgia project was going to be the first of dozens of new reactors built across the U.S. Uh, but then that renaissance, so to speak, floundered amid safety concerns. Remember the 2011 Fukushima disaster in Japan, and that came as prices for natural gas plunged. And so people got interested in natural gas, it's sort of that meme where the guy is turning his head towards the new thing, uh, the new woman, and the other woman's making a face. <laughs> and like for a second, that was nuclear. And then immediately natural gas became the new hot thing in the energy world. Uh, but natural gas, by the way, is just another name for methane, which is another contributing factor to climate change, which is the subject of another podcast at some point. Back to the nuclear thing here. The big issue now that it's gotten done is just going to be cost in the future. The third and fourth reactors were supposed to cost $14 billion. Jill, they ended up costing $35 billion, more than double their original cost. And so there are no other traditional large-scale light water reactors right now under construction here in the U.S. Uh, the Financial Times reports that investor interest has dried up. These projects really depend on government money. Uh, so once Unit 4 gets done next spring, we'll see if there's more interest here and more money towards more nuclear reactors. All right, from Bloomberg, Apple just weeks away from introducing the iPhone 15 and next generation watches. The new lineup's going to mark another stepping stone toward the dream iPhone. Apparently, Apple designers have long dreamed of an iPhone that is truly all screen with no borders around the display and no cutouts for cameras or sensors. So with the iPhone 15 this fall, Apple will take another step toward that goal. The standard iPhone 15 models will trade in what's called the notch for the dynamic island, while the Pro and the Pro Max displays will be made with the new technology, low injection pressure overmolding commonly known as lipo inside of Apple. Yeah, <laughs> a different type of lipo than we're used to, yes. Uh, this new process will shrink the border size around the display to 1.5 millimeters. It is currently about 2.2 millimeters on current iPhones. Jill, they're taking it right up to the edge. We're really getting that extra 0.7 millimeters on the iPhone 15. I'm actually looking for one. I think I'm still living off the iPhone 12 right now, so I am due for an upgrade. And as Apple does, the phone just keeps getting slower and slower, the battery dying quicker and quicker. So I'm looking ahead to this iPhone 15, especially how much time I spend on Instagram every day. And this is seen as the biggest update since the device added 5G capability three years ago. Uh, and so when it comes to the iPhone 15, iPhone 15 Plus, uh, as has been expected, those phones will look similar to current models, but add major camera improvements and a new chip. And uh, significantly, they're going to be swapping out the lightning connector, the power jack, for a USB-C. The USB-C uh, is the same they use for laptops. We can thank the Europeans for that. Remember, they filed a whole suit against Apple. And they're like, enough with all the power jacks, enough with changing it every year. All of your devices need to have one simple cord, especially when it comes to waste and pollution. And so now it appears USB-C is the way we'll go on all devices. So that's at least one thing I don't have to spend too much money on is buying all new jacks uh, for, well, especially if you already have an Apple laptop. If you don't, you will have to buy one more new cord, it appears, for this newest phone. 
All right, from NBC News, actor Paul Rubens, who came to fame in the 1980s as children's TV star Pee Wee Herman, has died at the age of 70. According to a statement posted to his Facebook page, last night we said farewell to Paul Rubens, an iconic American actor, comedian, writer, and producer, whose beloved character Pee Wee Herman delighted generations of children and adults with his positivity, whimsy, and belief in the importance of kindness. Paul bravely and privately fought cancer for years with his trademark tenacity and wit. It had not been previously disclosed that Rubens was diagnosed with cancer. TMZ reports that he had an inoperable brain tumor. The announcement of his death included a personal statement from the actor explaining why it kept his medical condition under wraps. He wrote, quote, please accept my apology for not going public with what I've been facing the last six years. I have always felt a huge amount of love and respect for my friends, fans and supporters. I have loved you all so much and enjoyed making art for you. So he actually created this character as part of an improv group called the Groundlings. You might be familiar with them if you live in L.A. He created it with Phil Hartman. He would go on to SNL fame. And his big break came in 1985 with the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure with a a first-time film director named Tim Burton at the time. The success of the movie then led to him landing a Saturday morning CBS show. I remember growing up with this, Jill, Pee-wee's Playhouse, a live-action show uh, for kids, adults that ran from 1986 to 1991. You might remember his uh, expression, I know you are, but what am I? As kind of that annoying thing that you would say. I know you are, but what am I? There you go. <laughs> you, ubiquitous. I think well said. Well said, Jill. Uh, nailed from the it. late 80s, early <laughs> nailed it. Um, though we should note that uh, Rubens uh, had a complicated uh, past here, and his rise to fame was halted in 1991 after he pleaded no contest to indecent exposure in an adult movie theater. Then later in 2004, he was sentenced to three years probation after pleading guilty to having child pornography. Um, and so, sort of. I, I think a lot of us want to remember him for that era uh, in the 80s as Pee Wee Herman, because uh, I think he, he fell on some difficult times there, clearly was battling some demons there in the 90s and 2000s, uh, though he would continue to make cameos in various films and TV shows. All right, now time for On This Day in History on this August 1st. On this day in 1940, a very young John F. Kennedy published his book, Why England Slept. He was a senior at Harvard at the time. It became a bestseller. Uh, He took advantage of his father's connections. His father, Joe Kennedy, happened to be the ambassador to England, and he was able to gather information, documents from the embassy to write uh, this book, essentially, uh, that was very critical of English appeasement uh, and the rise of Nazi Germany. It's notable, Jill, because his father was seen as an appeaser of Hitler, saying, if you just let him take a little bit more land, we can avoid war here. It would actually lead Kennedy's father, Joe, to lose his post as ambassador to England uh, under fire from FDR for you know appeasing the Nazis. On a related World War II publishing front, on this day, just four years later, in 1944, the final entry was recorded in the diary of Anne Frank. She's the young Jewish girl who spent two years hiding during Nazi occupation in the Netherlands. Uh, Three days after her August 1st, 1944 post, her family was discovered uh, and they were taken by the Nazi Gestapo to Auschwitz. She would die there uh, just six months later and just two months before the camp was liberated. All right, fast forward here to the 1980s. On this day in 1987, American boxer Mike Tyson defeated Tony Tucker and was unanimously recognized as the heavyweight champion of the world by all three sanctioning organizations. 
Staying with our publishing theme on this day, today in 1996, Game of Thrones was published. The adaptation of George R.R. Martin's book would then premiere on HBO just 15 years later in 2011. I still haven't watched the prequel um, to Game of Thrones. Have you seen it? It's on my list. It's It'll be a what we're watching. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Exactly, maybe I'll, <laughs> very good idea, Mosh. Maybe I'll use it uh, for a weekend when I don't have anything. I, I, some people tune in. They're like, oh, I, I wonder if there's like something trending on streaming. And she'll just like, <laughs> I'm going to watch the Game of Thrones prequel, everybody. <laughs> All right, two final notes related to music history. Both August 1st, 1981, Jill, uh, on this day, 42 years ago, MTV launched with the words, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. Jill, do you know the first music video played on MTV? Is it Video Killed the Radio Star? Ding, 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 ding. Is it? Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> video Killed the Radio Star. I mean, it's a perfect song to have come out by the Buggles there uh, in time for the launch of MTV. Uh, also, in your 1980s musical history, on this day, 1981, same day MTV launches, Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield reached number one on the Billboard charts. Jill, have you ever listened closely to the lyrics? Jesse is a friend. I actually have. He's he's deciding that he wants to date his friend's girl, right? Yeah, like like terrible. Like he. So basically, the backstory here is that Rick Springfield has done interviews about this, and he said he's taking a stained glass class. And in the class was his friend named Gary and Gary's girlfriend. Gary and he actually has a was planning. Wait, hold on. He was actually Go planning. No, no, no. You, I mean, you should sing that, and everyone right now should sing it to themselves because he was going to write the song as Gary's girl, but then he decided that he shouldn't probably write a song that could hit the radio about his friend's girlfriend and being in love with her, and so he changed the name Gary to Jesse. But I imagine if Gary heard the song, he definitely knew who he was talking about, right? Gary is a friend. I know he's been a good friend of mine. I have to tell you, Jesse's Girl is one of my favorite 80s songs. It's a great song. But again, listen to the lyrics. And it's literally a dude saying he wants to steal his friend's girlfriend openly. I'm okay with that. As long as I'm not involved in whatever tryst that is. Uh, Most they weren't married yet. It is what it is. Okay, listen, I'm just trying to take a stand for for Gary, wherever you may be, uh, and your girl. Um, Jill, apparently there was an Oprah episode years later where they tried to find the girl and they weren't able uh, to find her because they actually found the art teacher of the stained glass class. They had passed away and so they ran into trouble because they wanted to reunite Ring Sprigfield with Gary's girl. How has she not come forward? <laughs> like, I would think that everybody in that stained glass class would come forward and say, it was me. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to dig into this further, folks. We're going to get to the bottom of this 42-year-old investigation. Just the facts here on the Mo News Podcast. A uh, big thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. Tell them about us. We'd really appreciate it. Um, it will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store. And thanks again to Michelle and her son. I hope you made it to the end of the podcast and uh, have a good day. Actually, no, I, you probably aren't in school yet. So enjoy the last <laughs> couple of weeks of your summer break. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.